0: This is Ian Perry, welcome to Keeping Green, broadcasting from the University of Calgary at 90.9 FM on the traditional lands of the Treaty 7 and in Métis Region 3. Imagine for a second that you could go back to university and learn about traditional Indigenous heritage before you embark on your studies. I discuss this with a team from the University of Calgary. In the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. Stick around! You will no doubt be aware of the final piece of the Ring Road in the Greater Calgary area. Well underway between the Trans Canada Highway at Canada Olympic Park and Highway 22X. You will also know that this southwest portion of the Ring Road skirts the city of Calgary and largely falls on the lands of the Sioux-Tina Nation. The nation is our neighbor immediately to the southwest and is a vast expanse of rolling Aspen parkland, occupying nearly 300 square kilometers. It's a stark contrast to urban developments like West Hills Shopping Center, which lie adjacent to it. That's all changing. As the ring road is well underway at Sutina. so too is Taza, an urban initiative of the Sutina people, consisting of a set of three villages that will tie into the southwest ring road. The largest indigenous development in North America, Taza is 1,200 acres. Its $5 billion dollar value will redefine life at Sutina and in the neighborhoods of the city of Calgary, right next door as big-box retailers, entertainment, and residential developments emerge. So I was curious how Indigenous people see the development, and I was curious about some of the considerations being made for urbanization in the context of a First Nation like Sutina. To talk about this, I spoke to an award-winning teaching team from the School of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape at the University of Calgary, they held a design studio course last fall for students to tackle design proposals for Taza. In this interview, Hal Eagletail discusses the context of Sutina, including a brief history, and he describes his role as a knowledge keeper in the U of C School of Design. I also hear from Fabian Newhouse, a professor in the school, and Sandra Abeglin, who documented the effects of cross-cultural design in the learning process undertaken by the students. You know, this is one of the first sort of urban developments, as I understand it, that will be Indigenous. And as I was just reading this morning, it it's being described as reconciliation through the business lens to close the economic gap, um, and that, that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about this as an entity.
1: Well, Taza is actually uh, the largest <laughs> First Nation development project in North America. It's not one of the first, but it certainly is the largest uh, spanning over 1200 acres. The um, initiative has been, I guess, visioned many, many years ago. I sat on our economic development board back in uh, 1980, 1988. And the vision then was to have a development that addressed our economic and job needs. So we started off with a development called which means um, meat-eater uh, meat or tongue-eater. That was the name of the, the past chief that had his land adjacent uh, to, to um, Woodbine, and that was the area where the nation first initiate, initiated uh, development zone and because of the lack of infrastructure and also any kind of a ring road through that area, it wasn't viable, and it just basically sat uh, with with one development on there, which is
0: our current band office, our band administration office, mm. uh, Chief Big Plum Joseph B. Plum, and that's that's
2: his Satina name. It's not in. Okay.
1: And then uh, as as the uh, ring road development. Uh, was negotiated starting in 2000 and having agreement ready in uh, t- 2009, and then having a uh, a vote, you know, to actually accept the, the Green Road development itself. Um, that was successful the second try. Uh, we were able to partner up with a developer, Candarelle was a success, successful candidate to come into business with us. And yes. the name Taza means um, something's coming, you know, something wondrous, something amazing is coming. Mm-hmm. And that's what Taza means. And that's an expression, you know, Taza, Taza. Uh, when people are excited, they say Taza, Taza. Mm-hmm. So it, it stems from a, a, a longer oral story. uh, Too long to actually talk about right now in our time frame, but certainly we envisioned that this wondrous thing is coming.
0: As we got chatting, Hal got to talking about the history of the Sutina since the signing of Treaty 7.
1: Going back a little bit further, back to 1883, when Sutina first established the new land base for our our reservation after Treaty 7 signing in 1877. You know, we were all put on designated lands that government chose on our behalf. And that didn't sit well with our head chief. His name is Chilla Bullhead. So he sent two scouts to go southwest of Fort Calgary and he told the scouts, look for land that has a lot of pine tree, spruce tree, mm. so that we can, can build the uh, we can build homes, and we can tell the government we're already building uh, structure, and uh, this is where we want to move our own people. Yeah. So the Scott uh, went as far southwest of Fort Calgary as the Sheep River. That was the first chosen site. However, the uh, elders at the time did not like the, the smell, a peculiar smell coming from the Sheep River, and um, they, they decided against it. But here in 1914, the very first natural gas strike that was found in Canada, put us on the international map, was found along the Sheep River, and two boom towns came up, Black Diamond and Turner Valley. Right. Dang, we missed up. That's what they were smelling.
0: They were smelling
2: <laughs> the natural Ah. So, so, uh,
0: the second site they chose was along the Wolf Creek. Today, they call
1: it Fish Creek.
0: Okay. And
1: it was a practice to name something, uh, bad that happened. Uh, they would name that area after that event. So our, our young children, uh, were attacked by a wolf pack along that Creek. And, uh, a young child was, um, actually killed in that attack so we call that area Wolf Creek and uh, that's the site where our scouts had identified with abundance of pine and spruce and they left a small rock pile top of the the hill uh, overlooking it and then they went and got our our people Hmm. gathered around the site in, in the spring of 1883 so Chilla our head chief said to the people, do you want to raise our families here? Do you want to live in this area? And the people said yes for two reasons. One, Moose Mountain, our sacred mountain, where our claim, our land claim, is actually uh, involved with the moose. That's where our warriors got their spiritual strength on top of. And two, the abundance of medicines. All the medicines we need to heal ourselves grows in this area
0: abundantly. Yeah. So those were the two main reasons. So Bohead told the
1: people, go grab a stone and we'll put it to the scout's rock pile so that this is a marker for our new lands. And uh, as the people were doing that, um, one of our medicine warriors, his name is Eagle Rip, he had a vision. And in his vision, he said, this land that we've chosen in the future is going to be surrounded by boxes. And when the box arrives, he said, our people will prosper. Our people will benefit. Our people will live and learn off the people of these boxes. So back then we had no word for house. Today we do. And that's what he's seeing the houses, the boxes surrounding this land. Mm. And as the city of Calgary continued to sprawl and uh, uh, become visible uh, at, at, at our borders, this vision started to, to shed light and, and to, to come true. And uh, we always thought we were on the uh, precipice of, of having uh, this vision become reality. So when the ring road went through, this is the opportunity for us to, to uh, see that vision bear fruit. Yeah. And that the, the former military base that, that was on our, our lease land to the government, mm-hmm. expired in 1997. Well, actually, the term expired it was pulled and uh, closed down by the former prime minister at the time, Jean Chrétien. He moved Fort Calgary up to Fort Edmonton, just cost-saving efforts. And then uh, we lost probably about 28,000 civilian jobs to Calgary. And uh, with this new development of casa uh, in its construction phase and in its employment phase to fill the, the employment opportunities, we're looking possibly between fifty to 60,000 jobs to be filled wow. uh, throughout this development process. So definitely we need to nurture our, our neighborly relationship with the city of Calgary. we need to have um, uh, a commerce as well as employment opportunities for both sides and this is the uniqueness about it we have this beautiful uh, metropolitan beside a first nation working hand in hand and living and existing uh, with one another
0: then Hal got into his vision for how taza will benefit the people who live at Sutina. Our people are, are going to be benefiting, our
1: young people and, and the jobs that it will create for them, but also for the Calgary's population as well. When I talk at my kids' schools about history and culture, I get them excited. Uh, you know, grade six, seveners telling them, we need to have uh, doctors, nurses, lawyers, Um, and we have a space for you in the future. Mm -hmm. So finish your education and uh, and look at the career you want and and come and work on our lands because we need to fill these positions.
0: I then asked Professor Fabian Newhouse of the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape to describe the course that he held last fall here at the University of Calgary.
2: We are... We have done uh, a design studio with uh, with uh, students at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape uh, in the fall 2019 in collaboration with the Tsutena Nation and, and with HAL Eagletail um, um, to develop um, visions for, for that area on the eastern end of the Tsutena Nation uh, bordering on Calgary. Our studio is um, was called interchange um, to to sort of uh, open open that perspective uh, to to what cross-cultural design could be uh, and explore that in in more detail together with the students. Uh, usually, obviously this design is um, in, in in our uh, studio context is is predominantly from a Western, uh, European almost perspective, right. so, and then um, we we really were interested in in, in um, exploring what it would mean if we would start introducing a more cultural or uh, cross cultural perspective. So we have students studying architecture hmm. who are on this course. We have students studying planning uh, and students who study landscape architecture together in the same studio. So that. Uh, was sort of the the setting for the students to work in, um, and the idea was really to to engage with traditional indigenous ways of knowing and living, mm. um, to to bring that um, together with our more uh, Western uh, approaches and interpretations of design, and and explore explore that in the context of Taza.
0: Having learned about the design studio course and cross-cultural design, I was curious about some of the parameters followed when designing within the context of Indigenous heritage. Here's Hal Eagletail again.
1: We incorporated the four-season design application that will be a part of every development that comes in TASA. Yeah. And four-seas is is one of our... our um, cultural connections uh, to, to all of the season. We have certain ceremonies for every season. We have certain allowances to do in each season. And we wanted uh, we want the developments to reflect that. You know, the, the understanding of earth, air, water, fire, those are the elements that um, is part of the design requirements as well. Uh, from Taza's development uh, proposals, when they when they receive uh, people coming in to want to build on Taza, those are the type of things we ask them to incorporate. You know, not just from students' perspective on what they did, but the actual developments that do come into Taza uh, through one of its parks, whether it's the Taza Park or the Exchange, or um, those are the things that we have to make sure every development follows our curriculum.
0: I'm curious what. What do you consider when you look at geometrical forms that are culturally significant? Can you describe some of these geometrical forms?
1: I can uh, interpret that based on your location, kind of dictates the type of uh, design that comes from those regions. For instance, further north, Northern parts of the country, you'll have more floral patterns and design that's significant to the uh, to the identity of those First Nations floral patterns. And then when you come kind of uh, into central plains area, you know, meaning from Grand Prairies down to down to the uh, border uh, between, between Canada and the U.S., you have simple geometrical design and then when you go further south down into the uh, southern plains of uh, Colorado down to Texas mm-hmm. you get it more advanced um, uh, geometrical designs that, that are more intricate so just by looking at the beadwork of a person or the quill work in the past oh. you can tell where it comes from
0: fascinating and that's kind of the marker uh,
1: of why the geometrical design uh, that's in our area will be uh, prevalent and, and will be a reflection of our history and of our understandings to um, to the land uh,
2: through our geometrical design.
0: Here's Fabian Neuhaus regarding culturally significant geometric forms.
2: Uh, uh. Also, from from the studio perspective, I think this was one of the important, you know, starting points for the discussion for us. Is the um, the, the respectful sort of um, approach to to design um, from from those different cultural perspectives, and and an important um, sort of lesson for us um, at the university was was really also the um, notion of ownership. Uh, of design, which is um, an important uh, sort of cornerstone, and and um, sort of un- starting to understand uh, how design is viewed differently uh, in in different cultures, um, and, and how design comes about and how design is being passed on. From a Western perspective, design is usually um, a business model. um, And it's part part of a transaction. Um, uh, Whereas um, from a First Nations perspective, uh, design is much more personal. Uh, Also, it usually has a story attached to it um, and and is is owned by by an individual. So it's not something that you can just take and and copy. So so that was was also a perspective that the students um, started to include in in their approaches.
0: I then asked Hal about some of the guidance he provided to students as they studied cross-cultural design.
1: Well, basically, I just encourage the students to go with, uh, with the knowledge of, of what they've learned of First Nation history and, and identity. And uh, I guided them uh, as much as I could with my knowledge of Satina oral history and culture and conceptual designs of, yeah. of respecting Earth and having that connection with all living things. And uh, I really was um, vocal on on that connection because, you know, even when we sing in our native The living entities. So we're very diverse, uh, unique in in that connection. So being as vocal and as um, visual and and, uh, articulate in having them understand how important our respect for Mother Earth is and how. Mm -hmm.
0: curious how this interactive, cross-cultural learning was having an effect on the students in the design course. So I asked Sandra Abeglen, who who is studying the design course as it was going on.
3: I think the studio as such provided a unique learning environment. And I think it's one that you know all students should experience, not just design students. So I think reconciliation is, a, is an ongoing process. Um, one that has only just started I would say and so it's important for students in one way or another to engage with you know First Nation cultures, different ways of knowing and doing and living and, and I think the studio managed that quite well so you know giving them a task that is challenging on the land but also by bringing people in um, how as an instructor but also elders um and have direct teachings i think um it's something that you know can't be done by others so it needs to be coming from the people itself and i think student feedback showed um students really valued that experience of having you know people coming in showing them but also guiding them and taking them even out on the land and and you know um, having them. Um, what's going on and so the feedback has been very positive by students Um, Mm. they really value that experience and hopefully you know um, time will tell they take it on into their professional career Um, Mm. you know I think design needs to be more inclusive generally Um, there is a big call for it to be sustainable too as you said Um, you know it's something um, that needs to be considered more, so things stay with us for a very long time, and so if they're developed, we need to think about these aspects. And I think, you know, the students managed to dive into that with the studio and, and the people, you know, leading them.
0: There was one final aspect of the design studio course that I was curious about. Did any of the students incorporate uh, light and rapid rail transit uh, as part of that ring road artery?
2: Yeah, certainly Yeah, several several actually did there were there were several proposals that tied in with the with the existing lrt system even um and and sort of uh, went as far as, as, as developing notions of how the, this, the the downtown of calgary uh connects to to the target project uh which is a you know a, 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 billion project that that focuses on on business and residential and, 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 and how those two, that new emerging hub and the existing hub of the downtown can be tied together efficiently and sustainably.
0: There's a lot more to the story of cross-cultural design at the new Taza Indigenous Urban Initiative, and there are many resources that can help you learn more. So visit nextcalgary.ca to learn about the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape and some of the themes we've been talking about today. And check out the International Indigenous Design Charter at ico d Org. To learn about Taza, visit together at Taza.com and SutinaNation.com. These websites will all be posted on our Instagram page at KeepingGreen and at our website, KeepingGreenPodcast.WordPress.com. And thanks for listening. I'm Ian Perry. And until next time, remember, keep it green.